What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. This episode of The Hive Jive is brought to you by... A redneck brother from another mother down under. Thank you, Brett. I got nothing. <laughs> and John's going to drop the mic. <laughs> oh, man, if I was dropping the mic, it'd be more of a... There you go. <laughs> Dropping I got, the, I got a bigger. Yeah, so so yeah, there you go. I, I don't, I don't know. This, this, what I are we got, talking about? We are doing another round of listener questions. Twenty-two of them? Nope. Like four or five. Okay. So we're gonna be doing the hive jive. The hive jive. There you go. We're gonna be doing. Our, our, the hive. We're gonna tell y'all what's going on out here does, in the in the hill country of Texas. How does it go? It is a. Uh, this is the hive jive. <laughs> Something I can't say it. I can't say it like Bob says it, man. Bob's voice is so perfect for those intros and outros. This is the hive jive <laughs> with John Swan and the redneck Ken Milam. We'll see y'all on the other side. Y'all stick around. We'll talk about it here in a little bit. <laughs> that was close till you got to the stick around part. Because, um, you know, the beauty of a podcast, we don't have to go to commercial. There yep. is there is that's no it. sticking around. You're yep. just stuck not, with us. Uh, but that's part of it. We, we stick around because we're talking radio. <laughs> yeah, you you do radio all be, the time. We'll be right back. Y'all hang around. We're just going to have to let y'all go to break because the station's got to make a little money. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily, we don't have to do that. No, nope, we don't do that. So today, everybody, we're going to go through, and we are going to. Uh, my chair just got taller. I that was weird. <laughs> make it go away. I don't know how to make it go. There we go. Oh, there we go. Okay. Well, now you're a little bit shot guy. Well, that's puts me back in line with the mic, and mm. you know, I mean, that's it's. Well, I'm the not, mic moves. I'm not that. Yeah, but then it makes a lot of noise once you're recording, trying to move it. No, quit, quit, like that. quit. They don't want to listen to all that. I don't want to have to find it and edit it out. <laughs> so today we're going to go through and we are going to do another round of listener questions. These came in since our last episode of the listener questions. And, you know, there are not the 20, two hours of listening. Yeah, questions. there are not 22 of them. Good. So we're good. Uh, there there are six pages total. And that might include like four total six listener pages? questions. Yeah, yeah. But that's four separate Oh, okay. Emails that okay. people have sent okay. in. So, okay. so all together, it's much better than 20 pages. We're, okay. we're definitely good to go on that. But before we get started, of course, we want to go back out there and we want to give a shout out to our newest patrons on Patreon. So since our last episode last week, we have had several other people go through and sign up. So a big thank you to Justin A, as well as Justin M, Bo, James S., and Christopher C., thank you guys so much for joining us on Patreon. And a special thanks out there to Andre. Andre has upgraded his patronage not once, but twice. So he started off at the $5 level and then decided he needed to move up, and he jumped up to the $10 tier, and now he's up at the $20 tier because he wants the uh, the training videos and stuff as well. So, thank you, Andre. Yeah, that is uh, that is absolutely amazing, mm-hmm. and we greatly appreciate that. And we um, the, the whole thing with Patreon that we, we've officially finished our first month on there and the support and the the feedback and the interactions i mean that's it's been amazing i can't wait till i can tell them how to cheat 
Cheat on honey. How to cheat on your honey. No, uh, not that one. Cheat yeah. on honey. Raising, making honey. Oh, dear. There we go. We'll get that straightened out here in a minute. <laughs> so, but it, again, thank you guys so much. It has been absolutely just more than we could have imagined, especially just for the first month right out the gate. So bigger and better things to come on that for sure. And uh, we are we are slowly plugging away at trying to get all the stuff up and going. The the shirts, the merchandise, all that other fun stuff, and it'll it'll be uh it'll it's gonna be a good time for sure. We we greatly 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 appreciate it. For those of you who have not checked out Patreon yet, if you would like to do so, you can find that at patreon.com forward slash hive jive and patreon is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash hive jive so this episode as you heard on the little intro segment there with our lovely bob pickett's voice on there um, is brought to you by our redneck brother for another mother down under brett and Brett has sent us another update, so we're going to kick off our listener questions with another update from down under from your redneck brother. <laughs> a Brett, a red, my redneck brother from my mother, another mother down under. <laughs> Brett, hello, Brett. How are you? Brett says, "Hey guys, g'day, g'day." So after talking, hey Mike, <laughs> after talking to you guys both about pico de gallo, we <laughs> noticed on a menu from a burger joint here. Um, that they sell dirty fries with pico de gallo and a southern fried chicken. Naturally, I had to try it. I must say, I think it was a very poor attempt, and I am sure that the homemade would be a lot better. Yeah, he did send a picture along. He says, you can see in the picture that it wasn't much more than some chunky tomatoes and an unidentifiable herb. <laughs> he said, it's time for me to make some and give it a go. Um I have no work this coming week, so I'm going to go through and try to get in the kitchen and see what comes of it. Now, yeah, Pico de Gallo, and, and, and everybody's like, what the hell does this have to do with beekeeping? But Pico de Gallo, it is diced, like small diced fresh tomatoes, but yeah. it's also diced onion yep. and diced... Um, Garlic. Yeah, you can have garlic in there. Yep. It's usually the primary ingredients is going to be your onion, your tomato, and jalapenos. Do you want jalapenos then, or do you want it hot with jalapenos or do you want it with bell pepper? I like to use a lot of bell pepper yeah. unless I can get the real mild jalapenos. The bell pepper will give you the pepper flavor without the heat. And then the jalapeno flavor is, is almost comparable to the bell, but it has all the heat in have it. Have you ever so. tried the poblano pepper? Yeah. The poblano pepper really gives it a flavor. Yeah. And it's not hot. And it's not hot. And it's a good flavor, too. Um, so, yes, that that's kind of the concept. But it should actually be, they're all diced up. Yeah, your unidentifiable Gotta herb. Gotta have cilantro. The unidentifiable herb should that's be cilantro. cilantro. Um, at least down here. Well, up here. Down here? Up here. In America. Yeah, we're up here. <laughs> in America, it would be cilantro. Yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, cilantro grows up. Y'all's grows down. Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Uh, let's see. I lost where I was at here. So he says, after the last time that we spoke, um, I had close to five inches of rain. Um, the trees are flowering and the bees are going berserk. I've attached some pictures so that Ken can see the avocados growing nicely. The grass is growing and my mate is sick of mowing. <laughs> That's Isn't that how it always goes? I we bet. need the rain, but then it also it adds extra work in there for everybody. Uh, he says, time to get the cows out and stop the long-tailed grasshoppers. 
quote unquote Ooh. kangaroos. Oh, <laughs> long tailed grasshoppers. Get it? Get it? They're I in got grass it. Yeah, I got it now. Okay, I had to think a minute. We don't have grass <laughs> kangaroos here. Yep, and uh, and the red deer from eating it all. The small it's kangaroo. Red deer. Yep, red deer. Said and red deer from eating it. Are all. they red stag, Brett? Hmm. Uh, let's see. The small kangaroo that you guys were trying to name was in the pouch that the bloke would have had was probably a wallaby. And Karen, yeah. one of our other listeners, she actually she sent that. And I think Mel, uh, one of our so we've got several listeners, obviously, in Australia. But we had three of our primary ones that are always in communication. Reach out to us and be like, hey, dude, the little the little, the little <laughs> kangaroo, the little that's a wallaby. Is a wallaby. <laughs> Oh, wallaby. 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 Okay. is having a glitch over there. Um, been up since once. So shut up. Oh, wallabies and wallaroos, which are basically wallaroos. shorter and, than the red and the grays, but are built like the weightlifters. They are staunch. <laughs> okay. So in the apiary. There are uh, there is a five frame nuke box mm-hmm. that has three frame split, which mm-hmm. I have had to upgrade into a ten frame box after only two weeks of being queen right. The double ten frame box has been split into five frame box, and they were wanting to swarm even though they had a super with three to four frames of drawn comb. The white lid box was ex- uh, exploded with bees, and the queen is filling everything with eggs. Um, they've used up most of their food stores, so they have been moved from the farm. Oh, sorry, excuse me. They have been moved to the farm and have got Saracel feeder on top going for them. Hey, and that's right, because Saracel actually comes from, yeah, they come from New Zealand. Under. Well, it comes from New Zealand. Yeah. And so that uh, that is that's actually kind of easier for them to get a hold of probably than us, for sure. So... No, oh, no, 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 no. Whatever that is, just just take Brett, that. How much is a serious no, sale? No, no, no. Because then you got to still ch- you got to factor in shipping and everything. So he's getting it shipped from New Zealand to Australia, and then you're going to try to get him to ship it from Australia to America. And your bright idea to make money is going to lose money. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it will. Right off the bat. Yeah, it will. Okay, so yeah, let's see. So in the other couple of pictures, I will admit they're a bit hard to see, but you'll notice that there's a cap swarm cell that has been covered in burr comb. Um, John, have you ever seen bees cover a swarm cell that is capped with burr comb, or is, is that a sign that the queen inside has not developed? Um, actually, so more than likely what that was is a lot of times they'll they'll build out and they'll make queen cups as kind of an extrusion because they want that cup to face down. And so sometimes the burr comb's already there, and then it's in the bottom of it. You don't always see it, but they've got a queen cup actually stuck in there. And when swarm season comes around, she goes through and lays in all those cups. So the the queen cell probably grew out of the burr comb as opposed to them building the burr comb around it. They could also, when the queen cup was made or when the queen cell was starting to be developed, they could have used it to do true burr comb and actually bridge it across another frame. But that's not a sign that the queen is is not developing or anything inside there it's actually perfectly normal on that part so no worries on that whatsoever for sure uh let's see he said this cell was actually on another frame beside it and the bees put the comb all around it so yeah they what they were doing was just filling in space then um (laughs) okay now then, thanks to you, Mr. Ken. What did I do now? You're always asking everybody to send in questions to try to stump me. Okay. And so Brett decided he was going to take you up on that offer. That'll work. And he says, hey, Ken, let's see if I can stump John with this question. 
If you have a normal frame of honeycomb that mm-hmm. is drawn out to provide correct bee space, mm-hmm. an example, none of this nine frames in a ten frame box business, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the frames are all full of capped honey, mm-hmm. so there's your setup. If the bees uncap a single cell of honey, mm-hmm. how much of that cell can a single bee consume in one sitting, or how many bees can get a full stomach out of that cell, and how long will that last the bee? I'm sure that it will depend on the task at hand, but let's say that the bee is staying in the hive doing general duties such as cleaning, brood care, or being a guard. Hopefully that makes sense and inspires some good conversation. You want to take a stab at that, Ken? <laughs> ain't a whole lot of honey, but I'm going to say how many bees it takes to, clean, to empty that out? Uh, I mean, in, in, yeah, he's he kind of asked the question in two different ways in there, like, how long would it take a single bee to clean it out, or how many bees would it fill up if they all were to drink out of that cell? I think if they all drank out, probably 10 or 15 and clean it. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see. In other news, my brother and his fiance have just had their first child, a bouncing baby boy that they have no- named Jordan John, so he's already being called JJ. Spooky, hey? JJ. <laughs> I'm assuming that's a reference to Mm me. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. You better put me down for a couple of shirts. Definitely the Hive Jive Junkie. And hey, a shirt saying Big Down Under would be worn with pride. Big Down Under. (laughs) The Hive Jive, Big Down Under. (laughs) We're Big Down Under. Uh, Uh, He says, all the best mates. Talk again soon. P.S. We have gone from fires to floods now. So far, nothing too terrible, but... Um, we have been getting a lot of rain, so so that is Brett's little update from down under. Now I can go back and I can I can take a stab at this whole thing here. Um, I've honestly never really thought about how much honey could be held in a single cell. I mean that that just hasn't ever really yeah a whole lot of honey. It, I mean it's it's a cool concept. It just hadn't yeah. ever been anything that was relevant for me at the time. But uh, if we went through, I bet I could probably get pretty darn close if I worked it in reverse. So let's see. Uh, if we estimate that a medium frame can hold roughly four pounds, and this is all rough averages, four pounds of honey, and let's see, we'd have to convert that over to grams because we're going to get smaller, so it's like uh, 1,814 grams of honey, and then we're going to have to divide that by the rough number of cells per frame, and so it's going to come up with uh, roughly four. 400 milligrams of honey per cell. So that single cell of honey would be about 400 milligrams of honey. That's how much that would hold. That's what I said. And that's roughly an average. And then uh, a single bee actually needs roughly 11 milligrams of sugar per day to sustain normal function. That's not... That's not in deep, deep cold winter, you know, when they're actually having to do a lot of extra work. How did you say 400 milligrams? There's 400 milligrams in there, and they need roughly milligram, uh, 11 milligrams of, of per, like just pure sugar per day to function. So that would mean that that cell would feed a total of 36 bees for a single day. Yeah. And that's their entire daily requirement for yeah. sugar. So that kind of gives you a rough little example there, Brett. 36 bees would be able to empty that cell, and that amount of sugar divided out between those 36 bees would feed them for an entire day. Now, when the bees are flying and other things like that, you know, you mentioned this bee's just staying inside the hive, so that's kind of where that would be at. Uh, When they're out there flying and they're foraging, 
they're able to take some of the nectar that they're bringing back and they can slowly control release that from the honey crop down into their stomach and kind of digest as they go if they need it as well but um, just some other little takeaways though if we had to go through and do the math on all of this stuff we can actually then by knowing this we can extrapolate out a few other things so if we take it one step further that means that the average colony of around 50,000 bees would consume just over half of one side of a medium frame or roughly two pounds of honey per day just to maintain normal function during the spring and the summer months that's not including the flying and all the mm-hmm. other you know that well actually it would it would be some of the foragers too but again they can kind of sip off of what they're bringing back to the colony but luckily though i mean that's a that's a huge amount of honey and it can kind of give you a panic where you're like oh god they're going through they're going through half of one side of a frame every single day for fifty thousand bees you know it wouldn't be just a couple weeks they would eat themselves out of house and home but during those peak nectar flows they're working they're bringing in so much nectar um, that they actually bring in way more than they need each day. And that's including what the bees are digesting as they're bringing it back. It's including what they're feeding to the young and the brood. Um, so even though it seems like a lot, we're still able to get an excess honey crop each year and have a honey harvest despite the colony. And get this, each colony consumes over a 1,000 pounds on their own accord every year. So we look at it and we're like, man, that like for us here in Central Texas, our average honey harvest per colony is about 100 to 150 max per colony pounds of honey. Mm-hmm. And so we look at that and we're like, wow, that that's a lot. But outside of all of that, that's not counting what we've left on the hive for them for winter. It's not counting what they consumed in the growth and production of all that stuff or making, uh, turning the honey into wax and all these other things. So they each colony can go through... It's literally it's a lot. <laughs> it can go through over a thousand pounds of honey in a year that they've brought in, made, and eaten that you never even saw. You know, that's not part of necessarily the food mm-hmm. stores and stuff. So that is crazy. Yeah, it is. All right. Shall we now, move on? Let me ask Help. you one yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on. Okay, down there. Are the queen cells pointed up or pointed down? <laughs> pointed down, Ken. <laughs> They're pointed down. <laughs> so everything in the circle points down towards the center. So yeah. even if they're on the bottom of the circle versus the top of the circle, it's still, quote unquote, pointing down towards the ground, not up towards the sky. Because mm-hmm. it's not a flat earth theory here where you're on the top or the bottom. And if you're on the bottom, you're facing the wrong way. It's mm-hmm. a sphere. But if you let the <laughs> rocket go, it'll fall off the earth. <laughs> According to that meme, it will. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, Brett. We appreciate the update, sir. And uh, we also appreciate you sponsoring the show here for us. That is amazing. Um, All right. So also from Australia, let's get an update here from Karen. Karen has wrote in before. She had got the nuke from yeah. the reputable breeder but when she brought it home there was no queen present in their queen cells and they they were the ones that were raising them mm-hmm. nine frames in a 10 frame box mm-hmm. um so that's where that reference kind of came back to but so she she said uh, i thought that i would just guy bring you guys up to date with my queenless nuke she said that i had inspected it on january 24th hoping to find that the colony had raised a queen and unfortunately they had not oh, no. or at least i could not see any queen anyway um I could now see that all of the capped brood had completely hatched and the frames were bare except for the food stores. On my calculations, by the time that I put in a frame of brood from my other hive um, and they hopefully raised a queen and she started laying eggs and then that brood hatched, the majority of the colony would be dying from old age. I felt that it would be on its last legs. 
Okay, so I'm going to pause. The, the email continues on here, but I'm going to pause real quick. Bees are amazing at restructuring and reassigning duties. And even as like as they age up through there, your when the bee is first born, it becomes, you know, the housekeeper and the cleaner. And then it moves on to a nurse bee and then it moves on to a builder and a constructor when it's about a week and a half old or after it's emerged from the cell. That's when they invigorate those wax glands and they start drawing out all the wax and they start going through and building comb and building cells. And when they move on beyond that and they hit that three week mark, those wax glands actually atrophy and they shrink up. Right. Mm -hmm. But if something happens and say the forage force is out in there, you know, you've got say it's a 50,000 strong colony and you've got 30,000 of those bees actively out foraging and something happens and the 20,000 that are at home are just magically gone. They vanish because maybe you did a split or something else. When those foragers come back, they get back into the colony and they realize we're drastically low. There's nobody here to take care of the brood. There's nobody here to do these things. They can actually reverse engineer what they do so they can take those atrophied wax glands if they need to they can reinvigorate them they can take the atrophied glands that actually make the brood food in the royal jelly and they can reinvigorate them so they can actually step backwards in time through their job duties and reestablish what that is and they can then turn around and continue to care for the brood even though the day before they may have been a forager they can shift duties if needed so that the colony can survive so it may seem like, okay, well, we, we estimate that a worker bee lives on six weeks average during the main flow. That is not the lifespan of the bee. That is the lifespan of the bee when it is flying and foraging yeah. and, and doing all this then other it stuff. Janitor. If it comes back and it decides it's going to stay inside the colony and it's going to care for the young and not fly, well, then it extends its life because the flying and the foraging and carrying all the weight of the nectar and the pollen and the water back to the colony hundreds upon hundreds of times a day, that's what wears the bee out. Their wings tear, their heart gives out, you know, they, they run into predators and all this other stuff. So when they don't do that, they can live longer. Now, not it's not as long as the winter bees, but they can definitely live longer. So it's a it's a valid fear, but it's actually not anything that you should really worry about in the greater scheme of things on that one. So, all right. Okay. Moving on with the rest of the email here, she says, so again, after going through and, and deciding that, you know, she felt that it might be on its last leg, she rang the beekeeper that she had originally gotten the nuke from and asked if they had any queens for sell. The beekeeper reassured me that transferring a brood filled frame would work just fine. So that's what I did. But later that same afternoon, I got a message from the beekeeper saying that they had discussed the dilemma and they could now catch and sell me a queen. I didn't want to take any chances, so I went ahead and collected my newly mated colored queen, color-coded queen. So they, she had a dot on her. And I went and I collected that color-coded queen, and the following morning installed her straight away. <clears throat> Worst case scenario, we think maybe there's not a queen inside the hive, so we go through. You've done twofold. You took a frame that had brood and hopefully eggs as well, put it into the colony so they could start making a queen if they needed it, and then you also purchased a queen and you put that one into the colony. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. She turns around and she says, okay, so I inspected the hive today and hooray, exclamation points to infinity. Um, I found loads of eggs, larvae, capped brood, and a lovely orange queen 
without a paint mark on her back. <laughs> At this stage, I don't care if it's the queen that I paid for or one that they have reared. Um, it, if, it, if it's the one that they reared from the original queen cells that I had found, maybe she was out on her mating flights when I inspected. Um, I don't really care who she is as long as she is there and doing a good job. So finally, to wrap up here, I have two healthy queen right colonies. Now, to learn how to keep my smoker lit, when are you guys going to be having that as a topic on your podcast? Cheers, Karen. Or <laughs> a little gasoline and throw oh God, a match no. in it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, however, that is kind of funny, though, because I'm I'm working on, for, for Patreon, I am working on a video that is exactly that how to keep your smoker lit and and i want to add a little bit of humor into it so i kind of have staged it from the perspective of a beekeeper who is just frustrated beyond all belief because he can't get the damn thing to light and then when it does light it doesn't stay lit and he does pretty much what you just said he starts growing and grabbing everything that's flammable and then in the next scene you see like the whole neighborhood explode <laughs> so um that's not how you keep your smoker lit and that is something that we could actually do as a topic it is um i mean we could always go through and talk through it but i don't think that just talking about it on the show would really do it the justice of being able to physically see it. So that's kind of why I had squared that away for one of the training and education videos that we will eventually do out there on Patreon. So, uh, but to go back up here and kind of address the fact that you did find a queen and that queen did not have a marking on it. Yes, bees can clean those off of the queens. However, it usually takes them quite a while and you'll see that the center of it starts disappearing and then eventually it ends up with just a, a faint halo of the color circle on the back of her thorax and then eventually it might be entirely gone or there'll just be a couple of flecks on her but it's not going to be gone within just a week or two that's for sure you would have still noticed that so if you're seeing a queen and she has no marking and you bought a brand new queen and put in there more than likely what happened was your brand new queen was immediately killed because that colony was queen right mm -hmm. um yeah it, the bee math sometimes can be a little bit shaky but you go through and you look at it and you say well it's one to 10 days on egg to larva, and then they cap it. And then on a queen, she can hatch anywhere from the 14th, 15th, or 16th day, depending on the different variances of genetic traits that she has. So by the 16th day, you have a brand new queen. Right. Then you turn around, and you have to add in there a minimum of five days after the 16th day, a minimum of five days for her to leave and, well, actually to even decide that she's going to leave and go do her mating flights. Mm -hmm. So then she leaves and goes out and does those mating flights and comes back. Up until that point, unless you're truly, truly skilled at spotting a queen, finding a virgin queen can be challenging. She, her head and her thorax are the same and her legs are the same, but her abdomen's not nearly as big. In fact, it almost kind of makes a little triangle that's kind of uh, shrunken up as opposed to the big elongated torpedo shape yeah. that she has when she's fully mated. So she can be very easily overlooked for certain whenever she's not at her full glory. And so she was, that's at the 16 days she hatches. Five days later, she starts thinking about going on the mating flights. Mating flights can occur over a period of one to three days. Then she's going to come back into the colony and then she's going to wait another five days before anything else happens. So you're looking at a total of 26 days minimum before a queen. Well, before any yeah, new yeah. eggs might start showing up inside that colony. Okay. And your colony can last, uh, you know, about 28 to 30 some odd days before they'll go laying worker if there's no queen around. Um, but 
the first thing that I usually do is is just the one. I will take a frame, and it doesn't matter if it's been two weeks or three weeks, as long as they haven't actually gone laying worker and they know they need a queen. If it truly didn't have a queen in there and you put in a frame that has eggs in it, they will find an egg and they will start turning it into a queen cell. If they don't, if they ignore them all and just start raising them and capping them, it's likely that there is a queen there. And so if they had the queen and she was just hiding and you didn't see her and you install a brand new queen from a foreign colony, she will be murdered on site because that is not their queen. She does not smell like them and their queen is still present. If you would have found that queen removed her, given them a little bit of time to realize they were queenless and then put the other queen in, there's a chance that they will accept her. Um, You can also have some rare instances where you have like a fully mated laying queen and she may be of the exact same kind of genetic lineage as the other one. And they can wind up in a colony temporarily with each other until they both realize that the other one's there. But sometimes the nurse bees, they're very, very accepting. So Brett had that in one of his where He was looking through, he did an inspection, and more than likely what happened was that queen fell out or flew off and landed on him. And then as he opened up the next hive, she flew into that hive and landed in there, and she landed on a frame with nurse bees. So the nurse bees did not immediately attack her. They were just like, oh, you know, here's another queen. We'll just go ahead and care for her. But had that stayed and been prolonged, one of those would have killed the other one, or the guard bees would have found her, and then she would have been done for. So, um, But all in all, that being said, very, very happy, Karen, that you actually have two queen right healthy colonies now. Very glad to hear that. And uh, thank you for giving the, the, uh, the update on that as well. So much appreciated. Whoops. Hang on just a second here. We're going to do a tiny little interruption. So I apologize. You're definitely going to notice the sound and tone and everything change here. But uh, I completely forgot this morning when we were recording this the extra things that were on Instagram that I was going to go through and add in to the listener questions. And I had already told you guys that they would be on the show. And uh, yeah, then that didn't happen. So here at the last minute, middle of the night, right before release, we're going to dive in and we're going to get you what you need. Uh, I'm tired, can you tell? (laughs) So we're going to go through here and we're going to add a couple of uh, extra listener questions in there. And then I will phase this back over to Ken and I so that you can continue on with your regularly scheduled Hive Jive that was formerly going to be just like six emails or four emails and wasn't really that long. And now it's going to be like over an hour. So whoopsie. (laughs) Okay. First and foremost, we have Timothy, and Timothy had reached out to us on Instagram, and he wanted to give a shout out on there for his wife. We had mentioned her, one of our Patreon uh, patrons on there that subscribes through Patreon, Didi, and Didi was, uh, we kind of picked on her there a little bit, and so he just wanted to give a shout out to her and say that, uh, you know, it was awesome that we mentioned her on the show, and then he says... He has a a 25-pound weight limit that he's currently dealing with, so he's hoping to cheat like Ken and get a chance to purchase 15 to 30 deeps that are currently full of clean, drawn-out comb, and uh, it's from an apiary that's close by there. So they have been... So his question is, how many frames is a good amount if you're going to do a long laying? And if we use drawn and new frames, how fast can they fill it? So... In a top bar situation, let's look at it that way first off. In a top bar with no foundation, no nothing, I have seen colonies start and fill up a full 36 bars 
in one season from installing them as a nuke of just five to eight bars. They managed to fill up the entire rest of that colony in one season. Now that is an amazing queen. That is a lot of bees. That is a amazing nectar flow. Like last year here in central Texas, we just had this plethora of flowers and nectar and it was just hard and heavy and fast. And the colonies can do amazing and draw out a lot of comb in that amount of time. So you can run into situations like that, but it can also change sometimes depending on what you're doing. So one of the things here, if you're using drawn comb, then obviously it's going to grow even faster because they're going to be able to get in there and get started. But to answer the very first question there, like how long or how many frames should you do if you're building it from scratch, I would build it about that same. Uh, a top bar, we usually keep them just shy of four foot. So if you have it smaller, if you have it two to three foot, you're going to end up with a chance of them wanting to swarm more frequently. So it's easier to have it in a much bigger container to go through and do that. So I would put it into a four foot container and then how many ever frames you need to go through and fill that up. Now the spacing on that could be a little bit off, but you're looking at roughly 30 frames in there. So you said that you were hoping to get 15 to 30 deeps full of drawn out comb. That is a lot of deeps. You've got plenty of comb if that's the case. Now, if you're just meaning 15 to 30 deep frames, well, then the 30 frames would definitely get you to kind of where you needed to be, especially if it's all drawn. Now, I would almost suggest maybe doing two long lengths and in doing so, give each of them half of that comb and then allow them to continue drawing out new comb as it goes as well. It also depends on if you're starting with a package or you're starting with a nuke, like there's, there's lots of little variables that can go into that. So Tim goes on and he says that he's on a Facebook site for long lengths and one lady on there had recommended checkerboarding frames. She said putting an empty frame between honey frames will make the colony grow faster. Now that is true. Checkerboarding is actually a thing that can be done. It is not necessarily a thing that you want to do when you're first starting off, especially if you're starting off with packages. Don't be, don't be messing with that and don't do checkerboarding whenever it's too cool outside. You never want to separate the brood nest and stuff either. So checkerboarding is something that can be done. I would save that more for a year two, not necessarily a year one when you go through and do that, but we'll actually talk about that on an upcoming episode here. We'll go through and we'll talk about some of the different methods, reversing the boxes, doing checkerboarding and things like that. So stay tuned on that one, Tim. We will come back around to that. Tim goes on to say that there is a lot of conversation on that Facebook message thread that he has on there about entrances and where exactly they should be put and how many. Um, an example, two to three of them on the side allows more airflow, and then you can turn around and shut them down for protection of robbing and things like that should uh, occur. Now, yes, you can have multiples. Now I started off on my top bars and I would have one entrance in the bottom front corner and then in the middle there would be another entrance and then on the back I had two vents and what I found is that the entire first year I never even used the middle entrance and that first winter the bees would go and close both that entrance and the vent behind it completely off. So I've started building the hives now where I don't even necessarily put in that middle entrance anymore. I just leave the entrance at the very beginning 
and then the vent at the very tail end on the opposite side on the top. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. They are amazing at going through and regulating their space and making sure that if there's congestion, they'll go out and they'll beard. You know, if they need heat, then it's easier for them to close things down. Or in this case, if you don't have the int- the additional entrances, they don't have to close anything down at all. So I would not get carried away with multiple entrances, and I wouldn't necessarily get carried away with like Uber ventilation and make making sure that they have plenty of airflow because they a lot of times prefer to live in a tree and a lot of times that tree may just have one entrance and that's it and that acts as their entire airflow in and out so don't go overboard with some of those things and you will find as you go through and you experiment and you learn and you grow that you may put something in there and every single time like in my case the bees go through and they propolize it shut well if you find that happening frequently or consistently then maybe that's a sign to modify your your plan and then don't specifically do that so don't have that in there so I wouldn't necessarily go go more than two entrances and honestly I don't even think that you necessarily need that you in the Langstroth a traditional Langstroth you've got your entrance at the bottom and then you can have a top entrance that works a little bit differently for the convection and the airflow in a long lang though not quite the same principle and most of the places they find out in the wild you know, there may be two entrances, maybe one main one, and then maybe a secondary one when they get down to that. But again, not necessarily that big of a deal to uh, to worry about too much. And the final question that Tim has here is, would you use treated or cedar posts as the leg stands? He says that his brother's talking about making metal legs and he's worried about the rotting of regular wood. So yes, you definitely could on the top bar frames and things that we build. We do use a pressure treated lumber for the legs specifically, and then we always set those legs on top of cinder blocks. So that way they're not in direct contact with the soil. As long as you can keep them up off of the dirt and they're not you know, constantly in that moist environment, they're allowed to dry out. They actually will last pretty long. So we've got top bars out there right now that the legs have been on them for about four years and they're still doing perfectly fine, not showing any issues whatsoever. So that is something that you can do, but you can also, if you build the metal legs, then you don't ever have to worry about it. Um, only downside to any of this kind of stuff though, is going to be if you ever have to move something down the road in the future, the metal legs are obviously going to be a lot heavier potentially in some cases. So just keep that in mind. If the hive ever has to be moved a long lang or a top bar, it's going to be multiple people. You're going to have to have help. It's going to be a team lift kind of scenario. Um, but a lot of times anything you can do to take some of that weight off of there is beneficial for the beekeeper specifically. So thank you, Tim. And I do apologize. I know you sent that in there. That was actually right at the tail end of January, and uh, we were trying to work it in here on some other stuff. So I do apologize for the delay, but hopefully that helps answer some of the questions that you had there, sir. Now, the next thing that we're going to mention here, this one is kind of a, a little bit of an oddity. This comes from one of our followers on Instagram, and this is, um, we're going to say his name's Eric. I don't want to give out too much of his personal information yet, but Eric does have an ulterior motive here, and he reached out to us so that he could go through and reach out to our larger listening community out there, specifically worldwide, because Eric is actually going to be traveling, because Eric is actually going to be traveling to Dubai in March of 2020. And he reaches out to us and he says, I have a free day to buzz around the city, ha ha ha, quote, quote. 
and I was wondering if there might be any listeners in Dubai that would like to meet up with a Texas beekeeper. And he's hoping that, you know, maybe our global outreach and presence there might be of some help to him. So I have absolutely no idea. I know that Dubai has not necessarily come up in our top 10 results whenever we've done stuff, but that does not mean that there's not beekeepers out in Dubai that might potentially listen to the Hive Jive. And hey, if you do, awesome. You guys rock. Uh, Tell all your friends so that you guys can hit that top 10 city list. But no. So anyhow, in all honesty, though, this gentleman, Eric, is actually reaching out. He is a beekeeper here in Texas, and he is saying that he's traveling to Dubai in March of 2020. And so if you are out there in Dubai, you are listening to the Pive Jive podcast and you are willing and interested to meet a Texas beekeeper, then shoot us a message and let us know. And we will pass that over to Eric and let him know. And uh, maybe you guys can make a connection and get out there and share some similarities and compare and contrast how beekeeping is different from here to there. And and you never know, you may make a new across the world friend and it could be very cool. So uh, we just wanted to reach out there real quick and do that. So good luck, Eric. And uh, we shall see if we get anybody that sends something into us. We'll let you know, sir. And for those of you listening in Dubai, if you do want to reach out, you can send us an email to info at thehivejive.com. You can also reach us on social media, Facebook or Instagram, at thehivejive. And with that, I think, hopefully, fingers crossed, that actually wraps up the couple of Instagram social media posts on there that we had missed out on. Let me double check really quick on Facebook, just in case, because we don't want to leave anybody out here. And it looks like we are clear on that one. So, uh, again, I'm... I'm pretty much cross-eyed at this point. (laughs) So if I did miss your question and I had already previously sent you out something telling you that it would be on Monday's episode and you did not hear it on this episode, please feel free to shoot me a reminder email and we will plug it in on one of the future episodes. But for now, I am going to sign off here in the little home studio and we're going to switch back over to the main show that was currently already in progress. Okay, so our next one is going to be, we're coming, jumping back over to the United States here. This one is coming from Bo, and Bo is actually here in Texas with us, so not too far from Austin. And Bo says, I am at the tail end of my second year of beekeeping, and I'm painfully aware of how much I don't know. Since you've started managing hives at the Sheridan, I'd like to know about how that works. I live about a mile from a local resort, and I'm considering approaching them to put some hives on their property. They have a lot of acreage away from their golf course, so they wouldn't have to be adjacent to a lot of chemically managed greens. But there's really no wildflowers out there on the golf course anyway, so that's kind of, you know, for the best. From what you've said about the challenges of keeping bees on the top of the hotel roof, I'd rather not have my hives anywhere near the hotel itself. Out of sight of the guests would be better for all parties concerned, I believe. What I'd like to learn is... What questions should I ask them? What are the red flags? And on a ballpark, what should I charge to manage the hives for a business? Well, Bo, this is... uh, Oh, and he says, P.S. Right now I'm in it for the bees, not in it for the honey necessarily, so they can have the honey if they want it. Okay, well, here's the deal. It doesn't matter if you're doing hive management services or if you're doing uh, hives for ag exemptions or you're putting hives out on another property. It all kind of depends on your comfortability and what you want to do and and how you want to work that. So for me, when we're doing hive management services or we're doing services for hives out on a property, um, and I don't necessarily mind sharing this, so everybody take notes if uh, if you've ever thought about doing any of these things. 
Um, we've had some listeners actually write in before and ask that, and I just sent them private messages back. But for me, if it's a hive management service and I'm coming out and I'm taking care of your hives on your property, um, but you own them and you're getting all the benefits from them, right? I'm mm-hmm. not taking anything from them. Mm-hmm. That's just how that's set up. Mm-hmm. The way that actually works for us is we charge $25 per hive per visit plus mileage to and from the location from our base of operations. So... Based on the number of hives you have, you know, that price could be way more or way less. Now, there's sometimes we get out there and we're literally in each hive for five to 10 minutes and that's it. There's other times we get out there and we may end up having to spend 30 to 45 minutes with one or two hives because of what we're doing or because of something that we find. So in the long run, it all kind of averages out on your time. And that's why we've set it up that way. Now, if you're leasing bees and you own them and you retain them and you retain all the stuff from them, that's a little bit different. You can make that price a little bit less. Um, you can kind of change that out. We also offer discounts if they buy in bulk. So there's the per trip charge, which is a full rate, or you can buy a month's worth of trips at a time, or you can buy a quarter of the year, or you can buy half of the year or the full year. How much ever they buy in bulk, we give them a discount kind of on a sliding scale based on what they've already prepaid for. And we make them prepay for it up front. There isn't any, I'm going to go work for you for three months and then wait on you to pay me. Like you pay up front before we ever set foot on the property. Um, Contracts and things that can be drawn up, those are all kind of different as well. But when it comes to something like the hotel, when we put bees on top of the Sheridan, it started off, the Sheridan actually approached us and they're wanting to do it just as a, we want to help the environment. We want to show that we're eco-conscious and eco-friendly and that we're trying to be as green as possible. They've planted their own vegetable and herb garden that the restaurant there uses. And they also want to use the honey from the hives in the restaurant as well. And so for them, it's, it's a little bit more like publicity and marketing, right? What we worked out actually is the hives and the management of the hives, they're my hives. I own them. I manage them. So it's kind of a lease contract from that, but they're on their property and they get the notoriety from it. When we do any press releases or anything like that, it's both of us together. So it's my company and then it is the Sheridan and that's what's out there in front of the media. So we both get the recognition and the coverage from that. And then the only other thing in there contractually that comes up is money wise they are now contracted with me. Any honey that the hotel needs for retail or for restaurant purposes, they now get exclusively from me. So that's the trade-off that I made with the hotel. There isn't a physical, you're going to pay me X amount per month for the hives to be there. We found another trade that would work in the benefit of them and myself as well. So that's how I set that up. How you set up yours is literally completely up to you. And it depends on what they're looking for and what you're looking for. I will tell you that if if they don't have a thought of having bees on their property and you approach them and you're like, hey, I've got this wonderful idea. I want to put bees out on your property. It's going to cost you $3,000 a year. They're probably going to be like, um, but we didn't really want the bees. And so we feel like we're doing you a favor because we're, we're giving you space to put them. So you might have to come up with some very creative ways to make it beneficial for all, all parties involved to get that to happen. If they reach out to you, then that's different because they're seeking the bees and you have a little bit more leverage there to work with on if you're going to charge and how much you would charge to do that. So hopefully that that gives you at least some basis on uh, on how to go through and kind of figure that up. And um, so if you want to reach out, Bo, you can and we can kind of discuss that further. But hopefully for everybody out there, that gives you guys a, a little bit more of an idea on how that would work. Yeah. 
Now, what I would have said, Bo, tell them you're gonna you're gonna let them sell your their honey in their stores. It's not their honey; it's your honey. Well, and see, that's kind of that's, that's kind of like what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. So they could turn around and they could buy the honey from you at a bulk mm-hmm. price. Mm-hmm. You could go as far as you're the They're one that packages it. it you yeah. jar it. You label it. Um, and if you have the food manufacturer's permit and you actually have on there that you're also doing like reseller mm-hmm. or reselling or repackaging, mm-hmm. um, you can turn around then and you could take your honey that you make there at the golf course. Mm-hmm extract it, bottle it, and you could exclusively put their logo, their name, and everything on the front of that label. Mm-hmm. And then on the back of the label, you can say, you know, hives managed by or honey produced by, and then it's your information. So you're still on there and you're still getting credit on the back ultimately, but they have their logo on the front and it'll say, you know, this is the such and such resorts, honey. And they get kind of the the perks and notoriety from that. So that is definitely one way that you can do, go through and set that up for sure. No um, it, I mean, it, it really depends on everybody's situations. You will have beekeepers out there that, well, like you, for instance, yep. Ken, on, on some of the places that you've got your bees at, it's literally My just... award-winning honey. You you needed a place to put mm-hmm. some of the bees, and you have friends or mm-hmm. colleagues and things that think it's cool and they want to help, and so it's, it's just mutually beneficial. Ken has a place to put the bees. Mm-hmm. He gives them a kickback. Basically, they get a few jars of honey or a gallon of honey, and then everybody's happy, yep. and there is no money that's ever exchanged. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's what happens because you'll have beekeepers in cities that live in apartments and they can't have a beehive, but they may find somebody who would love to have a hive on their property but doesn't want to manage it, and they can work something out. So He just likes the bees there, take care of his garden. Yeah, yeah, and uh, if he would stop hitting the hives with the damn lawnmower. He did on one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not supposed to be anywhere near him. No. No. No, yeah. He's an older gentleman, and he will be on the news one of these days because he's out there thinking that he's doing everybody a favor, mowing with the tractor, knocks over a hive, and they nail I'll have to bleep yeah, that, that out. That bunch probably will. <laughs> yes, they will. That bunch would. But see, that's that's why, and I but told you mean, that. That's the ones that came off the rock. Yep. That, that's what I told you, though, early on when we first started off out there. I was like, you know, I saw that he kept mowing pathways. And I was like, you need to tell him, stop doing this. Because if he, it, it only takes once, you know, and we get lulled into that false sense of security. Oh, but I mowed out there and they were fine. Yeah, they were fine that day. But one day they may not be, and it may not be one sting. It may be 500 stings. Yeah. So one of these days we'll have, we're going to have to get you out there. Once it warms up again before spring, do the check, see what we need to do, if we need to leave them there or take them to Mason, because i got those other 11 packages uh, oh yeah, we're, coming in. We're taking all of the ones to Mason. Are we taking all the old ones? All the Well, except for whichever ones we decide to split, if yeah. you wanted to make some splits. Yeah. Um, we'll keep the splits there close by, but all the full-size colonies that you want to move to Mason, yeah, yeah we're going to go ahead and move them. But, okay. yeah, it is actually for us. It's coming up that time of year. We did oh, – guys, it snowed here. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it didn't snow in town. It didn't? No, we well, didn't you may not have been awake. No, it didn't snow. Oh, that's weird. Mm. It Here in Austin, it actually snowed. Uh, it, started, it started about 11 o'clock mm. at night. And I got up to let the dogs out for the last time before everybody wrangled into bed. And I opened up the back door and it's the dog, dog took off. The porch light came on and there was all this white stuff flying by the light. And I took a video and put it up on, on uh, the Wicked Bee Apiary's social media. But I was like, what is this crap falling from the sky? <laughs> um, and it, did, it, it didn't stick so much on the ground here, or at least at my house. It did stick on the vehicles and things like that. Um, but there were some, some pictures from Central Texas where 
people had, I mean, talk about... Stuck on the grass. They they scraped up the bare bones of everything they could find, and they made these little, like, one-foot-tall snowmen yeah. <laughs> and decorated them and stuff. So uh, In Texas, we don't get a lot of snow. No, Especially not central Texas. Not central Texas. Panhandle, the panhandle of Texas, oh, they get, they a, lot get a lot of snow, yeah. but we don't. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it did snow here. Temperatures did drop down. We had uh, highs of about 35 to 40 mm-hmm. um, for about a 24-hour period there, and then it kind of went back up. 50 the day after that and then 60 and then yesterday was only supposed to be 60 and it got up to like almost 68 it was uh, 64 when i was driving in at one o'clock this morning yeah last night i was still outside after dark um i had a bunch of planting and stuff i wanted to do and it was still warm out mm-hmm. and i was like wow it's like it was warmer then than it was when i started at noon that day um uh, but yeah so i mean it, it's kind of up and down and we're coming into our time where spring is is approaching for central texas so we are going to have to start doing our pre-checks and we're going to have to go through and and one of the upcoming episodes here for everybody in the next couple of weeks is going to be uh, an additional checklist on okay now now you've went through and you've prepped some of your materials and you've got your woodenware ready and you've got your frames built what are the next steps and that's going to be another episode that'll come up here in a couple of weeks um, so stay tuned and look forward to that. I got my frames ready and got the wax ready. Good deal. Means when I come out there, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> no, except, except put together your freaking flow hive, man. <laughs> yeah, I got two of them. Yeah, you know, still got to build them. Okay, so we're we're gonna move on here. We've got one final listener question that we want to get in here before the end of the show. So this last one is coming from Al. And Al says, hi, guys. Love your podcast. Love it. Um, Oh, actually, looks like Al's actually from Australia as well. So we've got another Australian listener here. Another down under says, greetings from Research Victoria, which is an outer suburb of Melbourne, Australia. Looky there. Are we going to have to go down there one of these days? You know, that would just, uh, it would just break my heart. I'm kidding. Actually, that would be amazing. <laughs> totally... Now, if I do, though, we're going to have to go out on the mothership so we can fish for black marlin out on the Great Reef, guys. So y'all figure it out. <laughs> um, uh, I'm at a, the mothership? Yeah, they have the mothership. So what they do is they have a big ship out there that's set off the Great Reef. It used to be. I don't know if it still is. It's a big cruise ship. Oh. You go out there and you fish off of it, and they'll drop the sport fishermen off the side of the boat like 30 foot sport fisherman and you go you go black marlin fishing oh well there for a minute i thought you were talking about a different kind of mothership no i wasn't talking about ufos yeah well it wouldn't surprise me any no not at all (laughs) all right so back to al's email here he says uh, oh wow okay so this gives an amazing example of how absolutely chaotic it can be down there um parts of australia are actually the most inhospitable places on the well, yeah. earth to live in they in got alligators well down there. in no, contrast in contrast to places like the north pole and south pole and antarctica where it's mm-hmm. like inhospitable because it's bitter cold mm-hmm. australia can be inhospitable because of the climate and the heat it's versus the other 17 degrees down there yeah so but he, they walk around on the ground and pick up gold <laughs> So here's here's what he says. Um, We have in recent times been experiencing bushfires in our country, which continue to burn. And now he sent this email on February 1st. So as of February 1st, he was talking about they continue to burn. So at the time of him writing this, the rains hadn't completely set in like Brett was talking about. So (laughs) swear to God, guys, the only reference he has of Australia is Crocodile Dundee. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't that's not a knife. I knew it. I knew it. As soon as I said it, I knew that was coming. 
we've got to get him some experience so that he has other references for everybody. Oh, um, all right, so we have in recent times been experiencing bushfires in the country, which continue to burn. Um, days of 41 to 43 degrees Celsius, which would be about 109 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot. With cool changes, followed by dust storms, followed by rain the following day. It's a very tough environment to live in at present. It was 43 degrees Celsius here last night before storms of 100 kilomile per hour winds hit. I have attached a few photos of some significant bearding on my hive before the temperature dropped 12 degrees Celsius within five minutes. So, I mean, it's it's all over the place. Like, they're, they're minus the, like, bitter cold and snow, they're having all the other stuff happen. They're having windstorms, and it's dry, so that, that fuels the fire and pushes it on. If the fire's not there, they're having these dust storms. Then the temperature's going through these radical switches and changes back and forth, and then Jeez, it rains. What the hell they live there for? <laughs> Damn. Um, so here is, uh, let me show you this picture first and then we'll go into the rest of his email. Cause I want you to, he said this was just before the temperatures dropped and this is his significant, he quote, he calls it quote unquote significant bearding. Let me flip this. There you go. Damn. All right. So, um, Al, I'm going to post this on our social media so that everybody can see what significant bearding is down there for you guys. But this is literally a oh. ton of of bees on That's the front of this of hive. They, yeah, basically the every bee in the colony, um, all 50,000 of them are basically out on the very front of the hive. They are they were in such a big pile, they actually dropped off of the front and fell to the ground. So there's a giant pile on the ground. They're on the bottom of the stand. They're all the way up the front of the frame. This looks like it is one deep in one, two, three medium boxes. Um, the skew of the angle on this could change that. They could all be the same size, but it just looks like the uh, top box is bigger, but, and they cover one, two, three and a half boxes, solid bees on the front of it. Just this massive pile of bees. So the, uh, let's see what he says here about it. So he goes, I would like to know the effect of such high temperatures on a colony. Also, I presume that the queen stops laying in this heat, but would she come out and join the rest of the bees in the beard? How long would she start to take laying again? And at what temperature, would kill any existing brood. Um, any discussion on this would help. Okay, so here's kind of what happens. Uh, a lot of times it depends on how drastic it gets, but when it doesn't matter how severe the temperatures are, if you look at the internal dynamics of the colony, what happens in there? Cool. Yeah, what, what happens in there is bees ambiently generate heat, even when they're not necessarily trying to do so. So all of those extra bodies in there moving around and doing work adds a lot of heat to it. So what they will do is they will force a lot of the bees to evacuate outside. Mm -hmm. Those bees beard up, and that beard will expand and contract based on if they're cold, they condense down and they contract down so that the body heat stays between them. Mm -hmm. If they're too hot, they expand outwards and loosely hang on to each other so that air can flow between them and help cool them off. But the whole point of it is they all go out and they get on the front of the hive and they'll beard up down at the bottom or up on the front of it. And they're doing this to alleviate the congestion inside the hive. Now, not every single bee inside the hive actually goes through and leaves. What you end up with is you'll still have some of the nurse bees the nurse inside bees there. there You're going to have some food. of the the other worker bees are actually mm-hmm. going to be distributing any little droplets of water that they can find throughout the interior of the hive and on the comb. And then they're going to be strategically fanning. You're going to have bees at the entrance that are strategically fanning. And then bees at any of the vent holes or vent sections are going to be strategically fanning. And what that does is it alleviates the congestion. It allows them to pull fresh air in 
pull it past all those little droplets of water that they're fanning, which creates basically a swamp cooler effect, which then cools the inside of the hive down, and then they can force that hot, humid air back up and out the top. And that is actually the one of the ways that they can do the thermal regulation, and it helps them out drastically, but the queen may still be inside there. Only The queen would only come out and join the rest of them in two instances. If that's actually the colony preparing to swarm, which... You will have some people, if you post this on social media, they're going to see it and they're going to be like, oh my God, your colony's colony's going to swarm. I had a colony that I took a picture of like this and they said that to me, but they they had no context of what was going on. Mm -hmm. What they didn't know is I had literally just taken the entire thing apart and shook most of the bees out because we were changing out some of the boxes and put it all back together. And so all the bees came and balled up on the front of it and created a big pile like that. That's why, you know, and in your case... It was freaking hot, and so they're all trying to come out of there to alleviate the heat. Now, once they're outside there, they are going to be able to then cool themselves, and the inside is going to be able to be cooled. If they can keep the internal temperatures around, and you know, this is uh, not Celsius because I didn't think ahead enough to do the conversion for you on this, but around 94 degrees Fahrenheit right. is kind of the 94 to 97 degree range is where they actually keep it at all times to raise the brood. So if it goes up to 100, that seems like it's really hot, but it's not that much hotter than what the inside of the colony is on a normal day, even when it's cooler outside because they're trying to keep that brood warm. So they can go through and they can continue to do that. Now, the end-all be-all down here for us, we can have days where it is 110 and heat index of 120, and that's, again, Fahrenheit. Um, when that happens, you don't necessarily lose your colony. But for us, when you have long, sustained periods of that heat, for us, we're in a dearth. And our summer here in July and August is very much like that, but it puts us in a summer dearth, which means there's no flowering plants out there, there's no nectar, nothing's actually growing or producing. And that's when you put sugar water out. Well, it, yeah, it, depending on the food stores. Um, they should have already built up food stores from from us for in the springtime, but uh, when they go through and they do that, though, the queen will stop laying. Now, on a super, super hot day, she may stop laying just because it's hot. But if the next day, if the temperatures go back down to kind of a normal range, she'll kick right up and go again. But if those temperature swings are actually causing the vegetation to not produce as much food, the colony will recognize there's not a lot of food coming in. We need to cut back on the amount of brood. And they will. They'll slow her down. She'll stop laying. And in extreme circumstances, if there's a drastic change and there's no food available, they will go and cannibalize some of the younger brood and the younger larvae so that they can reuse that protein because they know we have to sustain ourselves. There's not a lot of food or there's no food and we can't afford to raise all these babies. So instead, they'll cannibalize the eggs, they'll cannibalize some of the brood, and then they can reuse that protein to to feed the remaining brood that is still there. So it's an interesting kind of dynamic that they do, but um, it, it does not necessarily kill the colony. That is for sure. They have ways that they've evolved where they can go through and kind of work around that. Let's see. He says, that day specifically that I took the photo was really overcast. No real direct heat from the sun, um, which is what we would usually experience, but the heat was still oppressive nonetheless. It was simply everywhere. Would love to visit with you guys sometime. I am a first-year beekeeper and just harvested 16 kilograms off of my top box. It's a yellow box with eucalyptus honey. And the, the eucalyptus... What eucalyptus honey taste like? I don't know. We'll have to see when we go visit Australia someday. We'll Works have to check me. it out and, and see what it is. But I mean, um, When we visit, we go, Brett's got a 
let me go kill some red deer yeah that's a whole different uh you can go get your hunting kick and i'm gonna go like tour all the beehives yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so thank you thank you so much al um he wraps up here saying y'all take care of yourselves and keep up the magnificent work keep on trucking thank you al so thank you for sending that in al i greatly appreciate it the photos are amazing i mean that that we'll post that out there on social media again that beard is just insane um there you go, guys. Hopefully the uh, the questions and everything, they, they kind of span the whole breadth of different areas in there. And so hopefully you guys did gleam a little bit of more information from it. And like I said, uh, we've got actually next weekend, we're going to be doing our special interview uh, with Mrs. Catherine from Australia. Australia. She's going to be here Down in the studio under. with us. And, yep. and so we'll have that coming up for you guys. And then the, uh, the following week, we will be doing your next checklist on things for... Kind of geared more towards the central Texas area, but uh, the checklist on what you'll be doing next um, next steps as spring approaches. So stay yeah, tuned. Spring, it's, it's fixing to be winter down there now. That's true. As we're we're getting closer to our summer, the Australian folks are going to be getting closer to their winter. They're almost mm-hmm. completely the opposite of us for sure. No, they are the opposite of us. Almost. Almost. I mean, they don't have snow. <laughs> well, no, no. Their winter is really their dry season, and it's cooler, but it's not It's not what we consider winter. We don't get a winter here. Well, I mean, it did snow the other get, day. We might get a day of winter. Yeah, we get, we get a few days <laughs> spread it between here and there. But anyhow, guys, thank you again so much. Um, that's it. you have any final parting words? Does wallaby taste like an armadillo? Oh, my God. If you barbecue one. First off, do they know what an armadillo is? Oh, no, and I don't know what a wallaby is. It's a little bitty kangaroo, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Armadillo is a little, like, armored tank with legs that loves to dig. Well, I've ate armadillo. But they don't, they may not know. Okay. You're asking an Australian what a critter is that may have never seen. Now, granted, they may have armadillos down there. I don't actually know. Don't know. But they've got all kinds of bizarre other critters. They've got a big armadillo in South America. Maybe they swam to Australia. Or maybe it just crawled across when Pangea was still all together. Sounds good to me. <laughs> they look well, like dinosaurs anyway, so they, they look like a holdover from the dinosaur they era. So, oh yeah, they are. See, we have nine banded. What do they have in Australia? It's actually it's literally like our state animal. <laughs> yeah, they drink Lone Star beer. Well. Yeah, depending on now. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, everybody, thank you again for tuning in and joining us here on the Hive Jive. And we will be back with more fun things coming next Monday. So, and if you are a patron of the show, you'll have a bonus episode coming out later this week and more fun content on there. Again, for anybody who has not already done so, if you want to go out there, check it out. If you want to be a patron of the show and help us out along the way, it is Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com forward slash Hive Jive. And until next time, y'all be good. Al and you fa- uh, and our brothers from down under, y'all be cool. It's be too safe. Damn hot down there. <laughs> <laughs> y'all be good. We'll see y'all later, family. Bye. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.